Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. Thank you for listening to one of our great messages. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Loving this series, uh, The Blessed Life, at the moment, it's really good. Um, this series is really challenging for me, um, The Blessed Life, which sounds interesting because The Blessed Life is incredible. We've been given life and life to the full. Um, but as a young person, um, I really struggled with this idea of The Blessed Life. Um, which again sounds really weird, but I had this really weird, strange idea. I don't know where it came from, don't know how it happened. I grew up in church, I loved God, I was in kids' church, I was in youth, I, I understood God, I spent time with Him, but I had this idea, so strange, that I would have to work really hard for anything good in my life. I'd have to. I used to see people, you know, get opportunities and seem to have things handed to them on a silver platter. And I used to say to myself, no, that's, that's, Rach, that's not for you. And I felt like God had told me that. I felt like God had said, okay, Rach, you're going to just have to work really hard. And, you know, I felt like I was always going to live in a bit of lack and I was always going to struggle a bit. But for some reason, I was almost content with that. I was really, I was like, well, if that's my lot, then that's great. That's really good. And I'd hear about this blessed life, especially in a Pentecostal church. And I'd, I'd be, be like, oh, yeah, no, that's not for you. And switch off. And I, I just, I didn't get it. I really didn't get it. Which <laughs> produced this really weird uh, sort of mentality and this, mindset, this performance mentality and this striving that I would have to work really hard and I have to, you know, make people like me and I have to, you know, do heaps of stuff to earn goodness and to earn God's grace and which is so wrong. It's, it's so wrong and I ripped myself so short um, for believing that and I just want to share a little bit out of that um, a bit out of the grace of God tonight. I'm young. I haven't experienced a whole lot of life, but um, this I know and this I've experienced, and that's all I want to share from um, is what God's done and what He's doing in my life. I haven't fully grasped it. I don't fully understand it, but from what I do, it's incredible. It's amazing, and it's where our blessed life begins. Um, and I, I want to uh, start off tonight in Matthew 5.3. I think if we're going to talk about the blessed life, it's good to look at the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, saying that right? Yeah. Really, really good place to start. And um, I want to look at 5.3. So it's the first. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. What a weird sort of contrast. I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount was really countercultural, super radical. Jesus saying, this is the kingdom of God, this is your worldly culture. They don't even match. Like, 
I'm presenting to you a new way of connecting with me, of being in my presence. And it's very challenging, very weird. I can imagine for the people in the day, they would have looked at Jesus like, who are you? Like, what are you, what are you communicating to us? What is this? And I remember reading this, and especially from this um, mentality that I had, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom. I remember thinking, oh, I want the kingdom of God. I like, want to be blessed. Okay, but I've got to be poor. <laughs> I read it so literal, got to be poor. Okay, but I don't want to be poor. But I remember being so confused. And the others I kind of got, you know, blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Awesome, great. Blessed are the peacemakers, awesome. Blessed are the meek. Yeah, okay, I can sort of get that. But blessed are the poor was a really weird um, concept for me. And for now, looking back in hindsight, understanding the poor in spirit really is talking about humility, um, not poverty, but a posture makes so much sense. Um, but looking at it from that view, I really didn't understand. And it's interesting how pride, it uh, blinds, it uh, blocks your ears, it clouds your mind so you can't understand truth. And um, this attitude and mentality of striving and performance that I had produced pride in my heart. And I did not think that I was prideful at all. Honestly, did not think. My 16, 18-year-old self would have never guessed that there was pride sitting um, in my heart because this mentality was prideful. It was. You, your success is on your shoulders, Rach. You have to make this happen. If you fail, then, like, you know... You've got no hope. You've got to succeed. You've got to do well. You know, make sure that you know exactly what you're doing. Make sure you're in control of, you know, everything. Make sure people like you and people are getting on your side. And that's pride because pride says that I can do this, but humility says I, I can't do this on my own. Pride says I've got this in the bag and humility says I have nothing at all. Help me, God. And I think sometimes it, um, <laughs> it takes us to be out in waters that are so deep that we can't swim anymore for us to realise that we need God. And I was thinking about it this week and um, I was thinking about my first swimming lesson going out into the deep end, and um, which is, you know, scary because you've got your floaties and stuff and once the teacher takes that off, I mean, oh my gosh, it's so scary. But she said, okay, all right, everyone, um, today we're going to go out in the deep end. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the day, this is so good. So we start like, you know, it's this big like 50 metre pool. So we got on the edge of the pool and we all started like, you know, making our way over. And the teacher, you know, was in the middle and we were on the edge and she said to each of us, all right, you guys are going to swim out without your little paddle boards, without your floaties. You're going to come to me and then you're going to go back. And like, you know, it wasn't far, like a metre and a half. She was still pretty close. And we're thinking, I'm so excited. This is going to be easy. This is great. And there was a few people before me. And I was like, awesome. They're doing fine. I've got this. It's sweet. Finally, she's like, all right, Rachel. All right, you ready? All right, come out. And I was like, okay, all right. Started swimming my little doggy paddle. And I make it about like a second. And I realize, oh, my goodness, there is no bottom. I can't feel the bottom of the pool. There's nowhere to stand on. And I start, you know, arms everywhere. I'm screaming. I start crying, looking at my mum sitting on the benches. I'm, Mama, <laughs> help me, someone help me. I'm drowning. The teacher, she's just chilling. As cool as a cucumber, just standing there, like, in the pool, treading water. 
All right, Rachel, come on. Um, I am, I've, I've lost it. I'm a very calm person, but I was not calm. I was, I, I thought I was going to die. I, I really did. <laughs> in this moment, it's the, scared, the most scared I've ever been in my whole life. It scarred me. <laughs> she's so cruel. Anyway, so she's, she starts realising, okay, this girl's having a bit of trouble. And she doesn't come over to my rescue. She doesn't come, here's a paddleboard, here's a... Rachel, float. Rachel, float. The water will carry you. Just float. And amongst all my screaming, I hear float. The water will carry you. I think, oh my gosh, okay, there's no other way. No one's coming to my rescue. All right, I better float. So I stop, instantly start sinking. And I'm like, okay, Rachel, you know how to float. Start rising to the surface and I'm floating on the water. And I realise, well, I'm not actually drowning anymore. It's all good. Doggy paddle over to her, back to the edge of the pool. And I was okay. And I was thinking about that this week, and that's really like a picture of grace. And we find ourselves out in deep water, and we start striving and swimming and arms flailing, and we start freaking out, I'm going to drown, I'm going to drown, and God's just saying, relax, my grace will carry you. My grace will carry you. Just float. Just float. I love the grace of God. I love the grace of God. And, you know, what I didn't understand when I was younger, my 18-year-old self, which wasn't that far ago, but what I didn't understand was that this striving and this performance, this mentality that I had was only going to get me so far. And it was working for a little bit. Everything was great. No one noticed. It was fine. Then I found myself out in deep waters and realized I couldn't swim like I thought I could. I couldn't take on those waves like I did before. There was no bottom. I, I, I didn't have anything. And I, my younger self wouldn't have known that I would have called out to God and his goodness and his grace would have rescued me and that grace would have empowered me and covered me and I would be going out into deeper waters that I never knew I could do on my own. I never would have known that, ever. That's the grace of God, the grace of God, and I'm so thankful for that. And, you know, we look at this, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's blessed to those that are humble, blessed to those that know that they need him. Not just, yeah, God, I need you, but I am nothing without you. That poor in spirit literally means, like, poverty, dead. If I don't have you, I have nothing else. Like, absolutely nothing else. And, you know, Pastor Heidi, she touched on it last week, and she um, talked about, Mary and the picture of Mary throughout scripture at Jesus' feet. And really, unless we are at his feet, unless we are on our knees before him, unless we humble ourselves in knowing that we need him more than anything else, that we are dead without him, we never will inherit the kingdom. And that sounds so rough, but the truth is that we will never come to repentance, we will never experience his grace if we don't, because pride will block the grace of God in our life, but we need that grace to enter his kingdom. Salvation, that moment of salvation is when we allow the grace of God in our lives because we realize, hey, what I was doing before, this doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't work like I thought it did. Poor in spirit, broken, repentant, forgiven, and free. I have nothing, but because of you, I have all I need.
I love it. And um, <laughs> I was looking up a few definitions of blessed. I mean, what does blessed even mean? And these are dictionary definitions, which I was like, whoa, it's crazy. Blessed means the endow- endowment of divine favor, which is grace. Blessed means those who live with God in heaven. Blessed means to be made holy and consecrated. Blessed means connection with God. Blessed means enjoying the bliss of heaven. They're dictionary definitions. That's not coming from this. It's coming from something very secular. Blessed literally means it's, it's our connection with God. It has nothing at all to do with our circumstance, but everything to do with our alignment. It's got nothing to do with what we have in our hands, but it's got everything to do with who we know. And what is the blessing? The blessing is Jesus. It's his presence. It's relationship. That's what blessing is. So to be blessed is to be in connection, in alignment, in, in relationship with him, which I think is so beautiful and amazing. And um, I just want to come over to Psalm 23, which is my favorite scripture of all time. Um, I think it's incredible. It's beautiful. And I think it's an amazing picture and image of what a blessed life looks like. What a blessed life looks like when we align ourselves with God, when we humble ourselves before him, when we're like sheep before him and he's our shepherd and we just follow him. Let's read it together. And then there's just these three um, things that I want to point out that we have because, because of him. All right, let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. Written by David, one of the most um, golden, beautiful hearts of the Bible, really. Uh, And his story is crazy, like absolutely crazy. Shepherd boy in the fields with the sheep, all his older brothers, gets anointed to be king, picked out, just this random boy in the fields. And Samuel's calling for, is there another son? Is there another son? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a, yeah, maybe someone out in the fields will go get him. Yeah. And he got anointed as king, and he was, like, young, you know, around maybe 13. He was young. And he's still, you know, shepherd boy, and he started serving the king, King Saul, and playing worship music for him. And then just on one day when he was going out to give his brothers food, he sees Goliath, and Goliath is taunting the Israelites and making fun of his God. And he just, this radical, crazy young man, hey, you, pretty much, I'm going to come fight you. You do not talk to my God like that. You do not make fun of us. And I mean, there were trained professionals that were, you know, ready to fight people like this, just cowering in fear. And he just walks up, throws his rock, 
Goliath's down, cuts his head off, and he's like, you know, the, the new hero of all the Israelites. And he still serves the king, King Saul, and just a servant heart, beautiful heart. And then King Saul gets all this jealousy towards David, and, you know, David's winning battles, and it's incredible and amazing. And then he ends up, like, being exiled from the kingdom and being hunted like, like an animal hunted. And he, you know, is hiding out in caves in towns and villages. People that he talks to end up getting killed because they're associated with him. Like, he's this, but he knows he's been anointed as king, but he's, you know, being hunted like an animal. And then eventually he becomes king. And it's amazing and incredible. And he does some stupid, stupid stuff. And he experiences the grace and goodness of God once again. And then his own son. I mean, you think that right then and there, that would be it. Like, you know, sweet, I've made it, I'm king, all sorted, done, I'll die a happy man. His own son tries to take the throne, and David just leaves. Like, he, he doesn't even fight him, he doesn't, you know, raise an army to, you know, it's his son. And he just walks off and leaves knowing, my identity is in the Lord, it's all good. I'm not going to fight for my title or my role. I'm, I'm sweet as I am. Incredible, like an incredible man. And I just marvel at his story, like absolutely marvel. And then this, this passage of scripture, Psalm 23, you know, many people say that he wrote this after being king, which means that his whole journey, he writes this as a mature man looking back on his life, looking at the goodness of God throughout it all. This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, while he was a shepherd boy, while he was a fugitive, while he was being hunted, while he was king, while the, his own throne was being taken for him, like, the Lord is my shepherd. I want nothing. Worshipping God was enough for him. Just him and God, that was enough. Everything else was a bonus, but that was enough. And because of him, we have three things, church. We have peace, we have promise, and we have favor. Um, it's really interesting that, uh, so, you know, it talks about here, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Did you know that sheep do not lie down easily? Did anyone know that? Has anyone ever seen a sheep lie down? You have? That is a content sheep. You haven't. Yeah, sheep do not lie down easily. Here's, here's some facts for you. Because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or they're hungry... They will not lie down. And it's actually really profound that David talks about, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I was reading a commentary and they mentioned this, that the only reason that a sheep would lie down is if the shepherd has dealt with fear, has dealt with friction, has dealt with the flies and dealt with famine. And what a beautiful picture that Jesus, our good shepherd, he deals with our fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. He deals with our friction. He is the prince of peace. 
He deals with our famine. He provides us with all good, th- all good things. And he deals with the flies, the little things that are irritating us, that are swarming around us, trying to distract and confuse us. He brings us to a place of stillness before him. Because of him, we have peace. Because of him. Because of him, we have promise. I, I love... Um, Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's promise right there. Because of him, we have hope that whatever valley we walk through, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word for um, the valley of the shadow of death, literally it means sunless valley, like void of all light, pure darkness, Even in the midst of that, you are with me and I'm only walking through. I'm not staying there. This is my resting place. We're walking through the valley. You're right next to me, you know, the light of the world in the darkest valley, walking through and it's it's just a shadow. This isn't it. This isn't the end. We're walking through. Because of him, we have promise. We have hope. Amazing. And because of him, we have favor. I love this end of this um, psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Just let that sick in. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what a picture. In the presence of enemies, a table before before David and he's just sitting there at this table reclining and his cup is overflowing do you know that overflowing it means saturation absolute saturation it can't get any more full like it's saturated in the presence of enemies in the presence of opposition we are saturated with anointing saturated with blessing our cup couldn't be filled anymore doesn't matter about our circumstance. Doesn't matter about our environment. Doesn't matter if we're at work and no one believes in God at all. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, in a conversation with someone who hates you and they're, they're just putting all this hate in your face. You are saturated with the, the blessing, the goodness, the mercy, the, the favor of God. And it doesn't matter about anything else. You have that simply because of his presence. And I love that picture of goodness and mercy following us wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whoever we're with, however we're feeling, goodness and mercy follow us. And um, (laughs) isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. Peace, promise, and favor because of him. And I used to think that, um, you know, the blessed life was my future me, that they were blessed like when I'm married and I've got a career and I've got a house and all my dreams are fulfilled, that Rachel's blessed. Like the Rachel now, yeah, she, God's with her and that's awesome, but blessings re- reserved for the moments where I have it. Like, you know, I can see what God's doing. And, but I'm blessed right now as I am in my weakness, in my imperfectness, in my lack. He is enough. He is absolutely enough. He's always enough. And Ben, if you want to come up and we'll sing in, in a moment. But I know this is challenging, especially if 
things aren't going so well right now and your external world doesn't look blessed. I know this can be really challenging if someone's up here and they're sharing, you are blessed, and you're like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Things aren't really looking blessed right now. But know this, that from the moment of salvation, the moment that you said yes to him, an open heaven, it opens over your life. And you were blessed from that moment, not because of anything you had, not because of anything you did. You didn't bring anything into that equation. It was simply his grace and his goodness. From that moment of salvation, you were blessed. And you are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs might be the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to encourage you tonight, if we align ourselves with him in humility, in humility, God, we need you. I've got nothing. I actually have nothing. Without you, I've got nothing. When we do that, the blessed life, it begins. That's where it is. That's the sweet spot. Holy Spirit, right there. We sing this song, you know. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill this atmosphere. Your glory, God, is all our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Selfless faith.